1: but he tried to make light of things. While prepping for that afternoon's operation, he glanced over at the nurses and cracked a joke. Ladies, I trust you're all as comfortable as I am? But if anyone laughed, it must have been nervous laughter at best. The date was February 15th, 1921, and this was a landmark surgery for Evan O'Neill Cain. He lived and worked in Kane, Pennsylvania, which was not a coincidence. His father had founded the town decades before and modestly named it after himself. Evan Kane, then age 60, was no less egotistical. Whenever he finished operating on a patient, he would tattoo his initial next to the incision, a tiny Morse code K. Dash, dot, dash. Kane was nevertheless a beloved surgeon in town, and over his 37 years of practice, he'd saved countless lives. This included an incredible 4,000 appendicitis cases. Still, he'd never faced an appendix operation quite like this one. In the operating theater, he propped himself up on pillows. A nurse held Kane's head for support, and he checked the mirrors in the lighting to make sure he could see everything he needed to. Three backup doctors stood by, including Kane's brother, ready to jump in if something went wrong. Meanwhile, Kane prepped the naked abdomen, swabbing it with brown iodine and alcohol. Then he injected Novocaine to numb the sight.
2: Mm.
1: By this point, the tensions must have been excruciating. Finally, his preparations complete. Cain picked up a scalpel and proceeded to cut in to his own abdomen. You see, Evan Cain's landmark patient that day was none other than Evan Cain. He'd be performing surgery on himself. Hi, I'm Sam Keane, and you're listening to The Disappearing Spoon. A topsy-turvy, sciencey history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. There's actually a long, noble tradition in medicine of doctors experimenting on themselves. In the 1700s, the famous British surgeon John Hunter injected his own penis with pus from a man with gonorrhea just so Hunter could observe the course of the disease on a day-by-day basis. Other doctors have given themselves scurvy and scarlet fever and ulcers. Another one allowed himself to be bitten 2,700 times by mosquitoes while studying malaria. It's a miracle the itching alone didn't drive him insane. Probably my favorite story of self-experimentation involves cocaine. Cocaine first gained prominence in medicine as an anesthetic. So in 1886, two surgeons in Germany decided to inject cocaine into each other's spines to see how well it numbed pain. One of them, unfortunately, got nervous and spilled the powder onto his partner's back. The other one had steadier nerves and succeeded in injecting the dose. He then proceeded to absolutely abuse his partner, jabbing needles through his skin, tearing out pubic hairs, putting out a cigar on his leg, and yanking on his testicles. The abused one? He just laughed. He didn't feel a thing. (laughs) Ha ha! He even went out to dinner that night with his partner and was in high spirits the whole time, partly because of their breakthrough in discovering a new way to deliver anesthesia, and partly because, well, he was high on cocaine. The next day, however, the man did not feel so good. He, in fact, had to stay home from work to nurse his burns and injuries. But his sacrifice did help push medicine forward. A more sobering case of self-experimentation also took place in the 1880s. A 40-something Russian biologist named Eli Mechnikov was depressed and had lost the will to live. So, he decided to commit suicide by injecting himself with the blood of a patient suffering from a nasty bacterial disease called relapsing fever. Metchnikov did this to test whether the disease was transmissible via the blood. He also reasoned that, if he was going to die by his own hand anyway, society might as well benefit from his first-hand observations of relapsing fever. Well, Metchnikov's immune system had other ideas. Despite a raging fever and racking pains, he pulled through. And miraculously, his brush with death shook him out of his depression. He regained a lust for life, and over the next few years, perhaps inspired by what he'd suffered, he went on to do pioneering work on the immune system. His focus was on cells called phagocytes that engulf and destroy microbes, like the bacteria in relapsing fever. He eventually won a Nobel Prize for this work in 1908. All that from a suicide attempt. Now. I could go on and on with anecdotes here. But I think it's more intriguing to ask why. Why do doctors run these reckless experiments on themselves? Actually, there are several scientific advantages in doing so. For one thing, doctors are trained observers of how the human body works. So by giving themselves a disease or subjecting themselves to some unorthodox treatment, they can observe symptoms and details that a lay person would overlook. Often those details are quite important. Experimenting on yourself also sidesteps any dicey ethical issues. Frankly, it's dangerous to experiment on human beings, since you might kill them. It's also all too easy to abuse your power as a doctor in that situation. But if you're experimenting on yourself, you alone bear the risk, much more ethical. In fact, the Nuremberg Code for Research is usually considered the gold standard of medical ethics, and the code explicitly states that doctors can and even should experiment on themselves first in risky situations. Finally, experimenting on yourself can make you a better doctor. Let's say you develop a promising but harsh treatment for some disease. Well, if you've already suffered through the pain of it yourself, that means something. If the patient says, you don't know what it's like, doc, you can look them in the eye and say, actually, I do, but I got through it, and so will you. That empathy is important for the human side of medicine. Of course, there are some downsides to self-experimentation, too. With only one person involved, there's no control for comparison. This can undermine the validity of your observations. People also aren't objective about themselves. Their biases and blind spots could therefore skew their conclusions. Plus, self-experimenting is dangerous. People can and do die or suffer serious damage. That's especially true if the self-experimenters keep their work secret and don't tell any colleagues. In those cases, no one is checking in on the person to make sure they're okay. That's why self-experimenters should always tell at least one colleague about their work. That way, if they do collapse or have a seizure or something, the colleague knows exactly what treatment to apply. Have you ever wanted to appreciate books or movies or music from another culture? Do you have a big trip coming up and want to get beyond the tourist spots and immerse yourself in local culture? No matter what the reason, Rosetta Stone is the language program for you. Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Millions have used it. Rosetta Stone knows what works for getting started, remembering what you've learned, and motivating you to stay on track. Plus, the built-in True Accent feature gives you live feedback to improve your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. So don't put off learning that language. Start today. For a limited time, Disappearing Spoon listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fire to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Still However dangerous self-experimentation seems, it pales in comparison to someone operating on themselves. That is a whole different level of crazy. To be sure, sometimes these self-surgeons don't do it for medical research. They're trapped in some remote place like Antarctica and have no choice. So their work kind of falls outside the scope of this podcast. But if you are interested in hearing about some more dramatic cases of self-surgery, Check out the bonus episode for this podcast at patreon.com slash disappearing spoon. It includes the incredible story of a woman who had to diagnose, biopsy, and treat her own breast cancer while trapped in 24-hour darkness at the South Pole. That's patreon.com slash disappearing spoon. Unlike the surgeons in the bonus episode, Evan Kane was running an experiment on himself during his self-surgery. Kane firmly believed that surgeons harmed patients by knocking them out completely with general anesthesia. He preferred local anesthesia instead. And he had a point. The most common anesthesia at that time was ether, which had unpleasant side effects, including nausea. As a result, patients vomited all the time and risked inhaling vomit into their lungs, a dangerous situation. Kane also feared that knocking people out and forcing them to metabolize strange chemicals put too much strain on their bodies, especially if they had pre-existing heart conditions. General anesthesia therefore boosted the risk of them dying. In contrast, Kane promoted local anesthesia, which numbed only the part of the body you were operating on. This seemed much safer and less strenuous. He also argued that not knocking people out speeded up their recovery. But arguments were one thing. Cain needed to prove his ideas. And when he felt his appendix flare up one day in February 1921, he realized he had a golden opportunity. So in the operating room, He shook off the other surgeons and insisted on cutting into himself, using mirrors to see what he was doing. And he used only a local anesthetic. After slicing open his abdomen, Keene sluiced around inside his guts and started digging down toward the worm-shaped appendix. He did have a bit of a whoopsie at one point. He leaned too far forward while trying to see something and... His intestines spilled out onto the table. But he stuffed everything back inside, then snipped off his inflamed appendix. He then let an assistant sew up the incision. It's not clear whether he tattooed himself. And he was right about the quick recovery time. He was chatting with reporters about the surgery within an hour. Within two weeks, he was back on the operating floor, good as new. This was stunning proof of just how speedy recovery could be with local anesthesia alone. But of course, improving medicine wasn't Kane's only motivation here. He could have asked another surgeon to apply local anesthesia and had them perform the operation. That would have been far safer and still made his point. But here was a man who lived in a town named after his own family and who would tattoo patients with his initial. Cain had a healthy ego, and in operating on himself, he wanted to show the world just how macho he was. In fact, the appendix removal was one of three different surgeries Kane performed on himself during his lifetime. In 1919, he self-amputated a finger that had gotten badly infected. Then, five years after the appendix surgery, he fell off a horse and developed a hernia. It nagged at him for years. So in 1932, at age 70, he strapped himself back onto the surgical gurney, applied another dose of local anesthesia, and sliced open his abdomen once again. This hernia repair surgery was quite delicate. Kane had to thread a needle between his abdominal muscles and his femoral artery, coming to within an eighth of an inch of this vital blood vessel and do so while working in a mirror where everything's backwards. One false move, and he would have nicked the artery and probably bled out. But his skills came through once again. Witnesses recalled him chatting and even cracking jokes the whole time, and he successfully fixed his hernia, to much fanfare. Unfortunately, Kane's recovery did not go so smoothly this time. He ended up developing pneumonia and dying a few weeks later. Now, it's hard to blame this complication on him doing the surgery himself. If someone else had cut in, he might have developed pneumonia anyway. But the extra strain of a self-operation, especially at age 70, could not have helped. Kane's ideas nevertheless triumphed in the end. His preference for local over general anesthesia is now widely accepted, since local anesthesia is less strenuous and speeds recovery. Overall then, Evan Kane exemplified the best and worst of self-experimentation, doing work that was pioneering, courageous, and vainglorious all at once. Although self-experimentation might seem like a relic of the past, It almost certainly continues today, albeit discreetly. For some reason, it's considered unseemly or disreputable. I disagree with that assessment. There's certainly a macho element to the whole thing, but I find it stirring as well. And again, it makes people better doctors. A century ago, medical students routinely had to swallow commonly prescribed drugs as part of their education no matter how unpleasant the side effects. This dose of their own medicine, as it were, allowed them to really feel what their patients felt, an experience that vastly improved their empathy and bedside manner. That's a lesson that some of today's hyper-specialized and overly technical physicians could stand to learn. We can't force doctors nowadays to take harsh chemotherapy drugs or whatever. But maybe a bit of self-experimentation would remind them of the fears and pains that their patients must endure. It's essentially the golden rule of medicine. Do unto others only what you'd be willing to do to yourself first. For more information about this episode, visit patreon.com slash disappearing spoon. There, you can also suggest stories for future episodes, get signed merchandise, and find bonus material like extra podcasts and pictures. Also visit samkeen.com slash podcast. There you can find more incredible stories from my books and learn how to book me as a speaker at your school or event. And if you like this podcast, please spread the word to others, both online and in person. I'm listener-supported. And word of mouth means a lot. Thanks for listening to The Disappearing Spoon.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.